Hi, everyone. I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And this is The Dapper Meeple. This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion. So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language. Also, Dapper Meeple hat, not required. Alright kids, it's time to spit on our hands and raise the black flag. That's right, for our Dirty 30 episode, we're going to talk about Cobalt Press's newest initiative, which they have released the first playtest packet for, Project Black Flag. But first, Acquisitions Incorporated goes to the small screen, Ravensburger is making waves with their Disney lineup, and our friends over at BA Games are about to drop their second game on Kickstarter, and we'll get a front row seat. All that, along with our crowdfunding roundup, on this Pearl edition of the Dapper Meeple. You know, for two years, I think 30 episodes is a good run. Like, I was doing the math in my head, and I figured, you know, about two a month for 24 months would be 48. So we're only like 18 short, but there was a big break in there for moving into a new house. We've had a couple of uh, uh, pandemic slash virus related uh, episodes that we missed. And then there's a couple times we we're just like, you know what? Don't have it in me this week. We're not doing it. I mean, to be fair, for us, I think 30 episodes is quite an accomplishment. <laughs> for We're any, knocking it out of the park, baby. <laughs> for any of you that actually know us in person, you know that planning is not our strong suit. Um, to make it to 30 episodes where we have actually planned the episodes, I feel like is is quite an accomplishment. Right. Like, And I'm happy with our content. I'm happy with our format, the way we've gotten to it. Um, the people that do listen... Um, hey, all you 50 of you out there, um, like we, we get compliments on it. Like they like the way that we break things down, um, which I will tell you when we first put this together, the format of our show was inspired by shows that I listened to on NPR, right? We put some bumper music in between there. We break it into different sections. So, you know, we're talking about something and then we'll break and then we'll go into another topic or something. So that's kind of always been the way that we were set up. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy with 30, uh, getting there. I did. I was listening to um, another podcast. They said they're just hitting their stride, and they're on like eighty something. So I feel like I feel <laughs> so like you're con- saying we got time, right? <laughs> right yeah, yeah. <laughs> time is on my side. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, I think it's really cool. Um, I mean, I never thought I'd be able to say that I am part of a podcast that has 30 episodes. Yeah, right? Like 30 episodes. That's thir- at least 30 hours of content. Right, yeah. Like, we've got a library now that yeah. people are like, hey, what do you guys do? And we had one of our cards with our awesome little pin. Tom Vassell, we're talking to you, buddy. Where's that pin at? Um, <laughs> I want to see that on a Dice Tower video someday. <laughs> and they can take a look at it. And like, wow, these guys have put together some stuff. So, yeah, man. I mean, I guess I think we got enough out there so people know who we are. Um, I think that we are honest about what we think uh, i think we're passionate about what we do in this hobby um and who we let into it and who we bring into it um and i like uh like i like sitting down and doing this like this started out as just something that i wanted to do with you and hopefully one day we will spin this into uh more of a business um but yeah yeah it's like cool i get to sit down with my brother and talk shit about games let's do that yeah i mean we are by no means content experts or anything but i mean hey we give it a good run right <laughs> Like we were talking the other night, like in my real life, um, there are times where I say some ridiculous shit. I'm pretty sure that I should probably be diagnosed with something where 
um, you say things before you think. I don't know that that's a thing, but I'm like, hey, man, we've made 30 episodes and I haven't said anything that's gotten us like a legal letter yet. So we're doing great. <laughs> Thanks all you 50 people out there <laughs> who have not, you know, sent any cease and desist letters. Right. Looking at you, Tom Basil. <laughs> Just saying, the core audience is strong, baby. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I can't believe. Uh, like I said, it would have never picture we would have, we would have got here. the The people we've gotten to meet has been fantastic. You know, even just more than the ones we've met in passing. Right, but, right. I mean, just the people we've had got to have on the show. Like, just finding out that this community is full of so many awesome people, and then getting to actually talk to them. And I mean, we'll get into it here in a second, but the guys from BA Games reaching back out to us about their new game that's coming out, wanting wanting to come and talk to us again on our show. Right, like, right. Return guests? We never, definitely <laughs> thought we'd never have that. Yeah, yeah. Like, we figured one and done at best. <laughs> they are, um, they're located out in Lincoln, Nebraska. We've had such a good time talking to them and getting to know them, and then we got to hang out with them at PAX. Yep. Um, hopefully, we're going to get to hang out with them at Gen Con. Uh, and you know, such a good group. It's three brothers, um, which I love. It is hilarious every time we talk because Ed's kind of been our uh, kind of go to. He was the yeah. one that came and sat down in the, the studio with us. And then his older brother Sam is kind of like I don't want to say the brains of the operation. So Ed's always kind of been our point of contact, and he was the one that was actually in the area um, and found our card, and that's how we met them. And when we talk to him, we're always like, hey, let's schedule something to do together. And he's like, yeah, let me check with Sam and we'll pin down a date. And then there's always a follow up. I'm like, oh, yeah. And Dave. Yeah. <laughs> the forgotten brother. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we talked to Dave before we talked to Sam, though. Right. So, right? I mean, in our book, he might be at least, I don't know, maybe same level. <laughs> <laughs> we're just saying we got your back, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, but those guys came out with a fantastic game. It was a game that kind of changed how we looked at social deduction games, and it was Cult of the Deep. Um, I have some of the artwork hanging in the game room. Yeah. We have a copy of the game. I mean, everything about that game was great, from the production to the gameplay itself. Just really well thought out, very like multi-tiered. Like It wasn't just one kind of game. There yeah. was the rolling mechanic that you got to play into. Uh, they are bringing their second game to Kickstarter, which they right. have been working on now for quite a while, uh, and that is Forges of Ravenshire. Which we talked about this a little bit when in our PAX wrap-up episode, because we got to sit down with Sam and get thoroughly thrashed in this game. Right, right. Um, in the, with the prototype copy at PAX. But no, uh, this game is fantastic. Uh, even that just one-time playthrough I had, I really enjoyed it. It does the same thing for us, I feel like, with like worker placement and engine building for us, just like Cult of the Deep did with um, that type of game. So it it really kind of expands what we previously considered in those genres and adds like some extra elements to it, like the, the both the dice placement as well as, you know, you get a little bit of dice rolling in there that kind of randomizes things. There's a lot of really good stuff in this game. Um, and I think we, we talked about it a little bit from when we first got to play it. Um, but now they actually have the mod on tabletop simulator that yes. you can go on and subscribe to and try it out for yourself. Um, it looks really well done. It's actually scripted, which I am a personal fan of because trying to set up a game on tabletop simulator can be a pain. So yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff. So definitely go and check it out. You can find it in the workshop just where all the other mods are for tabletop simulator. 
but yeah, it's a fantastic game. And now they're like trying to ramp up support for Kickstarter, uh, which will we'll have actually going to do a full episode talk with them. Um, should have be them coming on the show. Out. Yeah, probably early early April. I think we're kind of planning on having the episode out because their Kickstarter launches April eighteenth. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be looking for that. Um, definitely. I, I feel like that's one I'm definitely going to back. Uh, yeah. They've just. I mean. Like I said, we can't say enough good stuff about these guys. They are a small company, uh, just three brothers that decided to make their way into this, you know, the gaming industry. Yeah. And so far, so good is what it yeah. seems like. Um, and yeah, uh, like they've got our, like we've got their back. Um, hopefully, we're going to do some stuff here in the local area with their first game, Cult of the Deep. Set up some like play times at some of the local uh, game shops here um, and do some stuff where we can get that name out here. And uh, yeah, we'll be BA Games East, baby. <laughs> Yeah, so I I mean honestly we can't say enough about how good the people are, but truly it would be a whole lot harder if the games weren't as good as they are. Uh, I mean that's that's what it comes down to. Not only are they good people, but they are making fantastic games. Right. Um, and to me that means a lot because like us who are also kind of small time, like they can get all the support you know that they can get. Yeah. But they have a fantastic product to stand behind. Right. So. Right. They're definitely, yeah. 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 They're definitely putting their best foot forward uh, with everything that they've done. Uh, like we said, uh, the Cult of the Deep was just, it was, it's a good game to play. It's well played. The manufacturing is great. I love the cards. Yeah. Like they got the textured t- back of the tarot cards that just, I mean, everything about it is was impressive. Yeah. So, I mean, mm-hmm. and you can tell they really care about the quality of their games too. I know while we were at PAX, I don't know if I should talk. Yeah, I guess it's fine. Um, they actually were talking with the Level Up Dice people about some ideas for Forges of Ravenshire. Yeah. I, I mean, just to just to be making those network connections, yeah. one, but also to be looking at a company that makes such high quality products. Obviously, they're gonna they're gonna cost money, but you know the products are gonna get a really good. Like that just kind of shows where their heart is when it comes to development for their games. Yeah. Yep. And I, I think that says a big deal about who they are as people and the pride that they take in their, their stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. That whole you got to spend money to make money stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Because we've had games come across our desk that were not as good. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, they were, that's <laughs> perfect. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and and it was noted like, that's ah, a fun game to play. But I mean, there's something about breaking open a box of a well-designed, well-manufactured game and the, like the pieces feel good. Yes. You know, so because yeah. I feel like. <laughs> for a lot of people board games are not just the enjoy me get out playing game but like the tactile feel i know that's one thing we talked about actually yeah. why you're not a fan of tabletop simulator is because you enjoy the tactile feel of having those components in front of you and things like that yeah it so just, it just does not stir the same emotions in me um, yeah. i think tabletop simulator is a great way to like get a game out early yeah and i mean it could be fun to play if you log on and stuff but uh, for me it just doesn't it's almost frustrating sometimes yeah uh, you know, that's why, like, if we do play, usually you're doing all the setup and stuff. And yeah, yeah. I just come in and move my tokens when I need to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but absolutely. So we will, of course, have another episode on that. We'll probably mention it a couple more times as we lead up to that. I'm really excited to get those guys back on the show. Uh, kind of talk through some things with them, let them kind of give their pitch for Forges of Ravenshire and really just hang out with them again. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, it's always a good time just enjoying and being with them. Uh, we're hoping to actually get a playthrough on Tabletop Simulator with them. Um, with I told him I don't know if I want Sam involved again because, you know. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sam, pull some punches, man. We're trying to give you some. 
We're over here trying to give you like some publicity. Like when I say we got thrashed, like not even close. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I mean, obviously it was our first time playing, and he designed the game, so you know I expected a discrepancy there. But like, I consider myself pretty decent at games. Like, I can pick up like stuff pretty quickly and kind right? of roll. Yeah, no, no, no. it was no. Not, not even close. Yeah, not even close. I, I some of the stuff he was doing, I don't even know how he did it, but. Yeah, like, wait a minute, is that even in the rules? Yeah. You're just making shit up as you go? I mean, to be fair, he could have amended the rules as he wanted, but I'm pretty sure everything was above board. No, I like the way this plays better. Yeah, because it gives you like 40 points? I bet you do. <laughs> but no, it, it was fantastic. Um, so while we're on the subject of things we did at PAX, uh, let's revisit Acquisitions Incorporated. I was going to say, while we're talking Kickstarters and things that we like on it, so Acquisitions Incorporated, uh, Jerry Holkins and Mike Rahulik, put this thing together it started out as just a comic strip about games you know video games board games it's become this massive movement where there is you know how many what six conventions five now a year um like pax east pax west pax south pax unlimited pax australia they are all designed around gaming and then pax unplugged is the one that we go to where it is board gaming and tabletop gaming there's no video games and stuff it's strictly this genre and they do a playthrough. They have been doing live play D&D. They were the first to come out and do it. Yeah. Right? And before Critical Role, before Dimension 20, before those guys got into it, uh, th- these guys were out here doing it. And, you know, their their play is, uh, it's very, like, fun. It's not as serious as some of the Critical Role stuff that you see. You know, the stories have been, I think, compelling. Um, but there's always a, I don't think there's ever a fear that anybody's going to die. Any character is going to die like in their play. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of elements of the shenanigans yeah. in there. And yeah. I, but I think that's the type of, that's the type of game it is. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And I think they lean into that. It's less, there are some occasional serious moments, but I mean, a lot of it is more lighthearted, which mm-hmm. I think really plays well to the atmosphere they they usually like play it. Right, right. Um, but yeah, and I, so this is their, it's been 15 years yes. since they started. Um, so that's, you know, that's a long run. Um, but yeah, they're, they're fantastic. We always enjoy their shows at PAX. That's kind of one of the highlights. We always make sure to hit. Uh, we obviously go back and watch you know, the ones that happen at the other shows that we don't get to. But yeah, so it's it's an awesome game. We've talked about it quite a bit on the show. Um, and we mentioned it at PAX because they had like this kind of season finale type. Yeah, it was it was weird because they didn't really give a whole lot of information of what was going to happen. Right. So it was like, is this the end of Acquisitions Incorporated? I mean, it was like, I guess 15 years is a long run, but, you know, I I would love to see more. So, good news. Looks like there's going to be more. Right, right. They uh, they did hint at it. They said it was coming to Kickstarter this year. Um, and Mike Rahulik, who plays Jim Dark Magic of the New Hampshire Dark Magics, um, had stepped away from the table for a while. There was some controversy and some stuff was going on. And I think he had some mental health stuff that he said that he had to go take care of. So, he kind of stepped out of the picture for a little bit. But one of the teases on the video that they showed after the game was finished was Mike Rahulik returning, and he was dressed as Jim Dark Magic. Yeah. Um, so we know that he's coming back. We know Jerry's coming back. Um, right now, the information that they have released um, that that we know of, uh, it looks like Jeremy Crawford is still going to be DMing, but they're also bringing back Chris Perkins as well 
uh, to do some of the DMing duties, which I'm, I'm excited. I love I love Jeremy Crawford, but I I did enjoy Chris Perkins' style of DMing. Yes, so it it'll be nice to have both of them like take parts in this as well. Right. Some of the uh, other people that are going to be returning, uh, Jasmine Bueller. Uh, we'll be coming back, and Anna Prosser, who I absolutely love as a player. Uh, she's always so fun. Uh, hopefully, we're going to get to see uh, Xavier Woods come back. I hope so. He's just He was always such a blast to watch up there. Yeah. Um, but they're going to do it on Kickstarter, and it, it's going to be less about like live play with an audience, is what it seemed like, and more like what I picture, you know, like Critical Role, like yeah. friends sitting around the table where they got the cameras, makes it easier to watch, makes it easier to kind of take in the story. Um. But I guess right now they're planning a 10-episode arc. Right. Probably about two hours apiece for each episode. And it looks like that's going to be the actual final determination of how far and how long they go is going to be determined by what they make on Kickstarter. Yeah, and they also talked about some of the special guests and stuff that they want to bring in are going to be like stretch goals and stuff for the Kickstarter. So that's kind of cool to see. Um what exactly that that entails and who all they get to come and you know join the stage um or the table i guess at this point um but yeah so i i think that's pretty exciting to see um i'm glad that it's not going away i'm glad it's just kind of maybe changing a little bit i would love for them still to do live plays at the shows but if they don't it's not the end of the world right right you now like I, more than anything i think just having this kind of media around is is important yeah yeah absolutely um you know they were some of the first to do it and i think it's important for them to continue to keep this train going um they were very concerned with the whole ogl situation from wizards of the coast the yeah. open gaming license uh, i know jerry had come out and said that they were looking at completely stepping away from D fifth edition for their future endeavors whatever they may be because for him, it was like, are people coming to watch this because of D&D? Are they coming to watch this because of Acquisitions Incorporated? And yeah. figuring out where your audience falls on that line can't be easy. No, because their their show has been ingrained so tightly with Wizards for so long. I mean, I, I really feel like they're kind of in the same place as Critical Role is when it came to the whole open gaming license thing. I mean... They literally had the lead rules designer as the DM. I was going like, to say. <laughs> it's kind of hard to separate yourself. And I mean, one of the things I always enjoyed about it was most of the time, whether through whatever shenanigans, where they were playing were had elements of the newest campaign that just came out. Right. Yeah. Or something that was on its way out. From yeah. So there was always Wizards. that kind of like, you know, background information from Wizards that they had access to in their game that it was cool to watch, like, people actually play with. Right. So I always enjoyed that part, but, I mean, that means that you are tightly ingrained with the company that you're getting the information from, obviously. Right. But at the same time, like, it was a tough spot to be in, and it looks like hopefully we've kind of weathered that and are out the other side, at least for now. Right. Let's be clear. Hasbro is still horrible people. Yeah. Um, and like a lot of people got burned in fourth edition and they're once this happened they're done or say they said they're done um but we'll kind of see how that whole thing washes out with this next iteration of D&D being what it is but definitely i feel like you got to keep an eye on wizards and like all right we're watching you guys because uh when you're left to your own devices you just try to screw us over yeah (laughs) yeah we talked about this when the spelljammer stuff came out 
Um, you know, we were just like wizards do better, like because right there were a few things in there that were definitely questionable, and they've had kind of a history of of having issues like that. Right. This really was a completely different animal. Yeah this this was them being greedy corporate overlords and trying to squeeze the community for every little dime. Which again, I I fully believe that came from an executive boardroom. Yeah you know somewhere rather than it obviously was not the people the faces that we see and interact with that's not who made those decisions that's what it feels like yeah and i i I think it's important to keep that not only in mind but you know i i don't feel like we should be crucifying people like you know jeremy crawford and chris perkins for those kind of decisions because at the end of the day they were not the ones making those i guarantee it right but um on that news like hopefully they've kind of rolled back on that a little bit we'll we'll probably talk more about that here as we go through the episode um but that's kind of hopefully passed for now right and we'll talk about some of the new stuff that they have said that they're doing which is actually really good um and then we'll talk about a couple other things coming up um the other thing we want to mention in the opening is there's been something that has come up on my radar that I really, I, there, I, we don't have a lot of information, unfortunately, about it, but I still want to talk about what we do know. Um, so any of you that know me know that I'm a fan of Disney things. Um, my wife even more so than me. Um, and there has come out a new game, or it will be coming out in late August, early September, give or take, um, that is Disney themed. And I'm talking about Lorcana. So if you haven't heard of this, this is going to be the new trading card game that is all based around Disney characters, Disney themed artwork, all that sort of stuff that is being actually put out by Ravensburger, which was an interesting choice. I mean, when I think Ravensburger, I really like for me, I know that aren't they doing the villainous line as well? Yeah. So I think that's probably one of the reasons why they are the main publisher behind this Mm -hmm. because of their relationship with Disney. So Ravensburger obviously has done the villainous line, which we have the traditional villainous. There's Star Wars villainous now. There's Marvel villainous. There's a couple different um, boxes of the Marvel villainous stuff. So it, it's all the same kind of system. It's a fantastic game. If you haven't tried it, you can pick it up at Target, which I think is another reason why they went with Ravensburger. Um, but they've all, they've also done some cool games um, like the Jungle Cruise game. They've done Space Mountain. Yeah. So some other kind of like Disney-esque property games. Um, so I really think it's that relationship that kind of locked them into place with this. Yeah, yeah. But if you haven't picked up a Ravensburger game in the past like three years... Their production quality is fantastic. It really is. Yeah. It, it, like, and for me, most of their games feel like they're like lightweight games. They're not real super heavy. Right. Right. They're not real crunchy. Um, more kind of a, I don't want to say more kind of aimed towards a general audience, but that's kind of what it feels like. I feel like Ravensburger is a great place for people to start if they're new to this hobby. Yeah. So one really cool thing that I like about, about Ravensburger is, a lot of their stuff is now what we would call like mass market. It's big box store games. Right. Um, which I think is a great movement in the hobby. And some people kind of look down on it like weird gatekeepery style. But I mean, honestly, the ability to go pick up like really good games now at your local Target opens up this hobby to a lot more people. Absolutely. Right. I mean, that's that's a whole episode we could talk about there. But 
the point is Ravensburger is making some really good stuff. Um, even if you look at the villainous lines, one of my favorite parts of those is the little player sculpts that they make. So it's kind of like abstract art, little player pieces of whatever villain you're playing. Right. As. Right. Um, and they're, they're just really cool. They're really good concepts. Um, the special edition pieces that you can get when they like first launch at target, there's always some special edition boxes. Yep, yeah. Like they're like either different molds or not really different molds, but different plastics and stuff. Like those are really cool. Like all in all, it's a fantastic, like produced game. So getting into what, what is Lorcana? So right now, all we know is that Lorcana is a trading card game, right? So that puts it on the same level of magic, the gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, name any of the other hundreds of trading card games that you want. Um, so it's going to be a similar system where you will have a deck of cards that you can um, build probably according to certain deck rules. Right. There will be booster packs that you can buy. They're going to be pre-made because they have released some of the products that they have coming out. There are pre-made decks you can get. looks like there's like a two-player starter pack as well that you can pick up. The best part right now that we've seen is the Disney art that they're using in the characters. That's the little bit that you do get off of the website right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. So there's only been like 14 cards announced for this, but... I mean, it's everything from like Maleficent as a dragon to there's Hades sitting on the throne of Olympus, which I think is hilarious. There is like the magic mirror. Um, You got you even have brave little Taylor Mickey, which most people have no idea who that was. But that was when Mickey they did that little short with Mickey as the brave little Taylor. And that art is in there. It's a card. Right. Right. So uh, one of the things that I loved about Magic the Gathering um, even coming in when I did was it had such a rich history. There was so many different cards, depending on what, you know, type of magic you wanted to play. Like there are so many sets you could pull from. There was so much really cool lore and history and things like that just all put into the this game. And now you're talking about taking one of arguably the largest IPs when it comes to animation and things like that. And you're putting it into a card game. Yeah. And I feel like the potential there is huge because Disney being the massive conglomerate they are, no matter what you think about that, has access to. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, like Disney's got its hands in like everything. Yeah. And I mean, so right now, obviously, we've only seen more traditional like Disney characters and stories and art. Robin Hood, like the Fox Robin Hood. Yeah. The original and from the animation. But this opens the door. What stops them from moving this into a Star Wars game? What stops this from moving this into a Marvel game? Like, and making it all compatible. Right. Like, to me, that is what is most exciting about this. Now, I will be completely clear with you. Nobody knows how this plays. Yeah, nobody knows anything. Yeah. All we know is it's a trading card game. It looks very much magic-esque yeah there there are a lot of things on the card that kind of look like magic which magic is the granddaddy of trading card games if you don't borrow from magic you're probably not doing something right but you know we don't have a whole lot of information on exactly how the game plays we'll get that as the year goes on but already like there's so much cool just the theory crafting along of what they can do with this is what is exciting to me right yeah um i i I will not ever step foot and say that this is going to be the next Magic the Gathering or anything like that. There have been too many trading card games that come along and have said that. But to me, this having the backing of Disney, like 
being an officially licensed Disney product, I think has a lot of potential for where they can go. Now, a lot of that's going to depend on how popular it is because that's kind of a double-edged sword. If it isn't worth the money that they're putting into it, Disney could just as easily cut it and call it a day. Um, But still, I'm really excited about what this product is, what we know so far. The new stuff, um, like I said, they just released the Magic Mirror card on uh, Valentine's Day, actually. It's got some more kind of like magic-esque looking stuff on it with the text and things. So there's a lot of really cool stuff. I'm excited to see more about this. Um, I'm really hoping that it does well. Like this is one of those that um, I could see not being like diehard into, but definitely like getting a couple of decks and breaking it out every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, just something like that. And like I said, down the road, I really feel like the potential for where this can go is, is pretty open. It's huge. It's yeah. huge. All right. Well, uh, that's a lot for an opening. Um, we're going to jump into talking about Cobalt Press and Project Black Flag. After the whole OGL debacle with Wizards of the Coast, the community rallied stood behind the idea that an open gaming community is a more healthy gaming community and really pushed back and forced wizards to roll back a lot of what they were intending to do. Part of that we saw was a huge kind of insurgence in the interest of games that are not D and D. And a lot of companies really, I think capitalized on this. I know uh, Paizo, like was selling out of books and stuff for yep. Pathfinder 2.0. Um, people were exploring the like massive number of options there are out there that, were, that most of them didn't realize. And since then, they've kind of rolled it back, and a lot of stuff has gone under the Creative Commons license. So the SRD was moved so everybody had access to it and they could use it to continue making products. One of the companies that's been doing this kind of from their inception has been Cobalt Press. So this project that they're working on now that they've kind of kicked into overdrive, um, they say it's been something they've been working on for years. Um, but with the whole OGL kind of fumble by wizards, it was something that they realized they really wanted to um, put into place and get get rolling. Right. So the project that we're referring to is Project Black Flag. Which, first off, I love the name. <laughs> you know, um, I think Cobalt Press is kind of, you know, pushing in with this idea that, like, they're going to be like the pirate 5e. <laughs> um, you know, you guys tried to limit us, and now we're coming back with a vengeance. You know, spit in your hands and raise the black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it, got it. Uh, so I like that uh, kind of tone that they're putting to it. Um, but this is their project where they say that they're creating a game that is based off of the 5.1 SRD. Right. Um, and basically what they're doing is they're taking 5e and they're going, how would we have done 5e? Right. Yeah. Um, and part of that right now is they're going to start, uh, I think there's like five. Let me look at the bottom here. We're on the web page. So there's like six different or five different play tests that they're going to put out 
where people can get their hands on it and try it. Um, and from what I'm reading so far, everything so far I like. Uh, just kind of the way they're approaching it to what they're actually doing. Uh, the first one starts off with character building, right? Right. So the first playtest module is live right now as of time of recording. And you'll actually be able to submit feedback on it until February 27th. So at 11.59 p.m. So if it's something you want to take a look at and kind of roll through and, and you know, play with it a little bit or do what you want to do, um, you can still submit feedback to them until then. Now, that being said, we both have kind of taken a look at it. Um, it feels very much 5e. It is. Yeah. It, it very much is. And in the website, they talk about it. It's like, so why are we building this? And they're like, well, first of all, you need to understand that 5th edition is going away. At some point, probably sooner rather than later, because Wizards is going to make the jump to something else. And while Wizards themselves says that whatever new product they come out with, it will be backwards compatible. Eh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What what does that actually look like is the big question. Right. Cobalt Press, who, like I said, since their inception, they have been making um, material for 5th edition. Uh, they have monster manuals with like all kinds of new monsters, new spells, new classes. The kind of thing that you get, I think, in the way of gaming and innovation, that you need to have a small company with access to real players sitting down to test your stuff to get, right? Yeah. Because as DMs, I know that I have hand-waved some stuff, <laughs> you know, like people are like, I want to play this character, but it's not exactly like this. I'm like, let's see what we can do. And we've yeah, tweaked yeah. it a little bit for fun. Um. And there's some stuff in here that they do that I, I, I always like. One of the things that always annoyed me about 5th edition is when it comes to, since we're talking character building, how you get your stats. I like rolling for stats. Right. Rolling for stats gives you the opportunity to roll high, right? Yeah. The average citizen has a stat of 10 across the board. Right. Strength, con, dex, intel, wisdom, charisma. All 10s, right? That's the average. The characters that you're building, though, like, you know, this should be epic. Right. There should be, they should be really good at the thing they're really good at. Yeah. Um, so it's why I like rolling. It gives you that opportunity. There's a lot of randomness to it. Um, there's a couple other ways to do it. The point by system uh, is probably my number two. And then my least favorite is standard array, where you have, the, you have six numbers to put in, and then you add your bonuses, and... You know, you make your character, but I feel like that makes a just above average character. Yeah. Right. So, so rolling is my preferred method. Why? Because every fourth level in fifth edition D and D, you had the opportunity to either raise a stat by two points, raise two stats by one point, or take a feat. And feats let you really start getting into like the crunchiness. This is one thing that I do like about Pathfinder because there's a lot of feats, right? <laughs> But if you if you have low numbers and you're like, eh, I need to bump my numbers up to feel survivable yeah. in this epic quest that I'm in, you, you may not get access to the feats that you want. Survivable or even viable, honestly, yeah. like at, at some point. So, yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree that that's one of the things that I like about rolling stats. It, it lets your your characters feel like heroes. Exactly. Yeah, like and because that's kind of the that's the story that you want to tell. Like nobody really cares about the average adventurer who just did average things. Right. Like, like <laughs> yeah, you fall back some lizard men that, you know, in the town or something or, 
yeah, you chased off a thing from the town and you're the local folk hero. Sure. Right. You're an NPC in my game because I want people that are going to end up, you know, level 16, 17, 18 and like challenging the gods. Yeah. Like you, you want your characters to be, to be doing epic things from the beginning. Cause we all know most campaigns don't make it past 10th level. Right. So to combat that, it really helps to give your characters an epic story from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And although even wizards are really squishy at level one, sometimes they don't have to be that squishy if you roll well. So I, I, I would agree with you definitely on that. I, I think that, that's one of the things that, that I really look for when I'm character building. And, you know, sometimes sometimes it is fun to have that low stat and sometimes to play that, yeah. you know, or to play the character that is in this party of heroes. And, you know, it's kind of like you're Batman. You ain't got no superpowers, but you're still there. So you got something, you know. Um, so, yeah, I kind of like that. And it, it feels to me, too, that and they talk about it in the beginning of the playtest, is that a character created with their system is going to be slightly more powerful than the average character in 5th edition. I, I don't think you... You don't always lose that low stat, though. No, that's true, yeah. Um, on average, it's going to be higher, but you're still going to end up with some 10s, sometimes even some 8s or so. I mean, it, it still happens. Right. So you still have that option of... of or that kind of role play aspect that you can really lean into of, of whatever stat you want to. Um, so I don't think it necessarily takes away, but it does make your characters usually really good at whatever they are right. good at. Right. So, yeah, no, I absolutely. I, I think that's one of the really cool things. So I, I do like some of the other things that they change. They don't change a whole lot, honestly. Right. But there is a change to um, kind of sub races. So they, you still have your like regular race, like dwarf elf, that sort of thing. But instead of sub races, they have the heritage options. Yes. And instead of it being like hill dwarf, mountain dwarf, dark dwarf, or whatever, you know, they have like some of these. So you have the fire forge heritage, or you have the stone heritage, um, and they give different benefits. They are basically a a sub race. Sure. Um, but I kind of like the way they're framed a little bit better than kind of the traditional. Sure. Like it's know. the heritage is like, this is where you were raised. Like if you read the Fireforge heritage, it's characters who choose this heritage were raised with the values and traditions of the Fireforge dwarven clans. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the dwarven legends uh, state that the best metal crafting is done in fires of the earth itself. So like primordial type fires. Yeah. You know, it's it's where your background is from. Yeah. You yeah. know, I like that. I like that take a lot more. And I think that's also kind of a thing that has been done and looked at to move away from race as you're for race, determining your stats and your yeah. abilities to, you know, well, I grew up working primordial fire, so I kind of am a little resistant to fire. Yeah. Like and I do like they've kind of expanded it a little bit to like. To me, your so your sub races in five E, they were not not negligible, but they didn't feel like they added a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Like normally, your secondary stat that you got a bump to would be involved with your sub race, and you may get like a minor trait, like that that kind of was either helpful or whatever. Right. Um. I mean, looking at D, is you get 
some pretty interesting stuff. You get some pretty interesting stuff based on like your heritage. And I I like I like that they're making it matter. Yes. Yes. Um that's kind of it it, it really opens up the idea that you know, it's not just the race that you chose, which Tasha's kind of worked and didn't started to move that direction. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I like that that matters and that they carry that over um, into the background section. Sure. Like just as an example too, um, for they don't have a lot in here. Like this is a play test. Uh, humans, though, you get your human lineage traits that all humans will share. So your age, size, speed, stuff like that. Um, you also get, though, your heritage you get that they offer are nomadic and cosmopolitan and for the like nomadic one of the things you get is resilient you have advantage on checks or saves made to resist debilitating weather effects such as those caused by extreme heat or cold additionally when you complete a short rest you can reduce your exhaustion level by one which usually that is a long rest thing and then once used you can't reduce your exhaustion level in this way again until you complete a long rest which is something you deal with if you're dealing with traveling rules yeah. as a dm uh you can sometimes you can like acquire levels of exhaustion uh so yeah but that's that is specifically from the nomadic heritage whereas in the cosmopolitan heritage you don't have that but you do get street smarts so while you're in a city or other urban environment you and your group can't become lost except by magical means while you're in such environments you also can't be surprised except when you're asleep or otherwise incapacitated so you grew up in the city you know your way around you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's a, I mean, I, I really like kind of what they're doing with this. Like I said, it, it makes it feel like they matter more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they're kind of tailored also to like they, they make sense. Yes. And, and I really I really do like that. It's less you were born there or like you were born to this certain group of humans or whatever. And it's more like this is the way your character was raised or grew up or, you know, and it has an effect on who they are now. Um. Which, again, leading into backgrounds. Backgrounds right. is always one of the worst things in character creation in 5e for yeah. me. Just one, because it, a lot of times it doesn't feel like it matters. Right, right. And sure, you get certain proficiencies from it, but honestly, proficiencies are meh. Yeah, like, yeah, at, yeah. at best. Um, like, they maybe help round out a character and the story you're telling, but they are pretty negligible. Like, uh, the, usually, the, the like, the... You get like some kind of a, a special ability or a special something from that background. Like for a soldier, like you have your campaign war ribbon or your rank. The hell am I ever going to use that? Yeah. Like it's yeah. so limited. Yeah. And it really takes some, I guess, some storytelling leaps to kind of. To get there? Yeah. To yeah. make it to make it worth something. Yeah. Um. So what I do like in this new uh, kind of playtest material that they put out. They add a couple things. So you still get skill proficiencies. Um, you still get like language proficiencies, tool proficiencies, that sort of stuff. Uh, you get your different equipment that comes with your thing. So that's all That's all straight from 5e. Right. But now you also get a talent with each background. Yes. Um, and the talents in this are basically their equivalent of feats. And they divide them up. Like there's... Uh, there's magic talents, there's martial talents, and then there's technical talents. Yep. And each one of the backgrounds will tell you 
Um, all right. So, for instance, the soldier background. It says, as a soldier, you have received special training or honed natural capabilities that have kept you safe during your service. Choose a talent from the following list to represent this experience. Armor training, combat casting, or combat conditioning. All right. So, it's not like choose a, a talent from this list of 20 talents. Like, these three talents would apply specifically to the to background, background that you chose. I like that. Um, because one, it limits the amount of choices you have, so it's not overwhelming to try and figure out what you want to do. Um, makes it easier for newer players that don't have a grasp of you know how things might interact. But the talents themselves actually go with the background. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I do like. Uh, like I was reading through some of them, like the armor training talent is like, oh, well, you've learned how to use armor, so you gain proficiency with light armor. If you already had proficiency with light armor, then you gain proficiency in medium armor and shields. If you've already have proficiency in medium armor, you gain proficiency in heavy armor. So it basically, and you can take this one multiple times, it says, but it steps yeah. you up, whatever you are. Where in 5e, there are three different talent or three different feats. Right. <laughs> that allow you to get those. So that's a nice little condensation. I, I like that. Um, there's some other stuff too. Like a lot of this stuff feels familiar. Right. Like these feel like familiar feats. Yes, um, they're not all; they don't all exist in Five E, um, but they feel on that same kind of level. And I like that you know, used to most popular class was like variant human, so you could get that feat at level one. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, which I know they kind of with the new D one D and D material, they kind of rolled that around a little bit different and gave you kind of those introductory feats. Yes, but these are like full blooded feats. That you would still get in your background. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. And I guess talents are going to be their version of feats in yeah. their yeah. book. Um, I think that's. And I think this kind of brings that brings this version of 5e closer to that Pathfinder 2.0. Yeah. Where if you haven't played Pathfinder, it is very like it's very crunchy, but it is so detailed in character creation that you can make exactly the character that you're picturing. Right. Through the use of different feats and things like that, as you level your character, um, you get a chance to use a lot more feats. Um, it just it's kind of like uh, when you're uh, when they're available because you, you meet prerequisites and stuff, you kind of got to plan that out. And I feel like this is kind of moving us closer to that where you get a more detailed character. Right. So it's falling more under what you want. So I do like that so far. Again, they do admit that this is using the 5.1 SRD, which is now under the Creative Commons license. And they're just basically doing 5E the way that they would have done 5E. I like the way that this looks and feels like it, it does feel very much still 5E with just some slight tweaks to it yes. that make it make it really feel better. Because um, 5e is not the easiest thing to teach to new people. Mm -hmm. um, character creation normally is the hardest part. I mean, once you get that and they kind of get a grasp of their character, you can run with it. Right. Um, but I mean, in our experience with our like learn to play games and things like that, character creation is a four to five hour session Easy. with a full group. Like, yeah. Solid. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's usually going, creating the characters, leveling them up to like level two or three. Because we all know level one is rough. Level, um, one is, level one's bad. <laughs> yeah, but I, I really like, I know, um, so looking at some of the feats, um, like I said, a lot of them feel like 
they feel like 5e feats. They really do. Um, but there's a couple of them. Like, the one is combat casting, which is a, a feat that you can get as a soldier background. Uh, it's basically uh, allows you to do the same things that the... Um, is it battle casting? War Mage. Yeah. It basically allows you to do the same things that the War Mage feat does, but at level one. I mean, you get, except for it's even a little bit more powerful. Um, so you automatically succeed on con saves you make to maintain your concentration on a spell if the DC is lower than your spellcasting DC. See, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, that's that's nice. That's very, very good. That ties in and makes your spell DC matter uh, more than just for offensive spells. Mm-hmm. Um so it's the same thing. It allows you to use a, a cantrip as an opportunity attack. Yep. Um, and then, of course, you can use a shield or weapon as like a spell focus. So that's, yeah, like really good. Like that's a fantastic way if you want to build a fighting mage. Yeah. Like, right. That's what you need. And before you would have to do some shenanigans in order to be able to have that from early levels. Now we're talking about at level one you can have this character. Which makes a lot of sense, because if you... I mean, in most of the settings, there are spellcasters in the military, yeah. right? And if that's your background, they're going to teach you, like, yeah, but if you put your shield away to cast a spell, somebody shoots you with an arrow. Like, yeah. From, yeah, somebody, yeah. from somebody with an actual military background, there are practical things that you get taught that as a, you know, had you not gone through this, you'd been like, oh, I never thought of that way, and it probably would have got me killed. Yeah. But you get those, and you're still a spellcaster. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I, I think like that's that's fantastic. Those are the kind of small tweaks that that make something like this better than the standard five e. Right. Um, because now you, I mean, because so <laughs> I built a character one time. I wanted a cleric. I wanted it to have a battle axe and a shield. So I had to, <laughs> I had to make this character, and for the first four levels. Because I had to pick a dwarf because I needed the proficiency with the battle axe. Right. But for the first four levels, I couldn't use a shield or couldn't use my axe. Like, I had to have a free hand for casting. So my first four levels, I was just, like, straight up, like, random-ass cleric. But, like, it wasn't until level four when I could take my feet that I was able to, like, come online as, like, this battle cleric. Yeah. Like, and that's, again, it, it just opens up these character possibilities. Like, I, I really feel like it's important, especially if you're playing with new players, to give them that feeling of, like, their their characters are heroic and they're doing, like, cool things from the very beginning. Right. Because especially with new players who have never played D&D before, those are the things that draw them in. Those are the things that lock them in to wanting to play. Right, right. right? Getting the chance for your character to feel epic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, even at, even at low levels. Yeah, even if you're just like killing a killing a goblin, like they don't know like that. That's like the easiest thing that's in the monster manual. Or anything unless it sneak attacks you, you know, then, we're, then you're dead. <laughs> unless um, those crazy ones from that first uh, uh, the first encounter of Fendelver. Yeah, then, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it it gives them the opportunity to have this character that they they have come up with in their mind, and actually see it in action. Yeah. Um, and I think that's fantastic. Obviously, there's not a ton of these talents available. I think there's like uh, about eight or nine of them. Um, so there's going to be more that are coming out because we only have two backgrounds right now. So um, 
there's going to be more of those, but I really like kind of it putting that with it because it, it starts to add like more to the backgrounds. And if I'm not mistaken, so looking at the talents, um, it's going to fall the same way, kind of how it does in five E where every, every time you hit like a multiple of four of level, you get either, uh, an ability score increase, or you can choose another talent. Right. And it says here that the talents are going to be locked to your background still. Okay. So if you want to take a talent, it's still going to be one within your background. Now that's interesting because I think that may limit a few kind of more crazy character choices. Sure. I think in my, hmm, that's interesting. I guess we're going to have to see how it comes out. But in my opinion, like that's one of those things that I feel like I would hand wave. Like, if you've, if you're, say you're a martial class and you're starting to kind of dabble in that, uh, you know, magical side, yeah. like, I, I think I would let you take the feat. Like, yeah, but I want to be able to do this and it's a magic feat. All right. Well, even though you have a soldier background, I think I'm going to go ahead and give that to you because your experience since then has been this. So you should be able to take that. But that's an easy, that's yeah. a hand wave, right? Yeah. Um, it says here they can choose a talent from the list. I'm sorry. I misread that. They can choose a talent from their list their class has access to. Okay. So the talents are going to be class tied as well. Okay. Um, I think that works, though. Yeah. that Yeah. Because then if you multi-class, then you're talking about being able to have access to more. So, yeah. I like that a lot better than backgrounds. That was my fault. I misread that. But, um, yeah. So, I, I think that actually works. Yeah, it does. It does. Because that's... You know, your class is your job. So that's a lot of the experience that you're right. going to have. So um, and from what I'm seeing here, I kind of feel like I trust how they're going to shake that out. Yeah. So far, I'm really excited with kind of what they have going on. Uh, it it feels like I said, it feels familiar, but better. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to see more kind of what they put out. Um, this is obviously just the first playtest um, materials that they like put out on it. So there's going to be those other packets coming out. Uh, if you are a fan of RPGs and really want to have a hand in the way this one's being developed, get on the website, download the playtest packets as they come out, and give your feedback to them. Yeah, so here's what we're going to give a, just a quick overview of the schedule. Right now, February 13th, they released playtest packet number one, which is the character building one that we've been talking about. March, they're going to release number two, which is spells, wizards, and fighters. In April, they're releasing the Monster Vault preview, which I guess that's going to be packet number three. In May, they're actually going to start their Kickstarter for their two core books. There's going to be like a player's handbook and like a GM guide. And then in June, we're looking at playtest packet number four, Clerics and Rogues. Um, and then August at Gen Con will be live community playtesting. So we're yeah. going to sign up for that. Yeah, that would be fun. So that's what you've got to look forward to. Um like we said, these are these are some of the people that believe that it, uh, an open gaming community is a healthy gaming community, which means we should jump on this and give them our feedback. Because here's your one chance uh, for all those, especially for all those people that like to complain. Here's your chance. Uh, fix it before it comes out. So it's been a little while, but we're jumping back into our crowdfunding roundup. Um, 
a couple of great projects that we pulled. Some of them are nearing the end of their run, but they're just so damn cool that we had to put them in here. Yeah, uh, we do have an honorable mention as well. Uh, we always like to mention the Wormwood projects just because we can never afford Wormwood projects. Uh, <laughs> but they just rolled out their Kickstarter for their new modular table. It's fantastic. Go build the table of your dreams that, you know, maybe one day you might be able to afford. Right. Um, but yeah, so take a look at that one. That one's really cool. It, of course, it's wormwood quality. There's like 18 different videos that they made, like even the different types of wood. Oh, my. That was such a, I learned more about wood than I ever <laughs> thought that I would. Yeah. Um, but it was great. Like the different types of wood they got, why it looks the way it does. Yeah. You know, which woods you want hardwood for and which woods you want to use sapwood with, like. Really in depth, yeah. Like um, what causes the variation in the different types of woods, like, and they all just look amazing. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, maybe one day we might be able to afford that little bitty, uh, a little coffee bitty coffee table. table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think what was it like six hundred bucks? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you know, it, there's that. But um, yeah, so definitely a, a an honorable mention for sure. Uh, take a look at it. Like I said, they have some really cool videos on there um, th- that go into everything from you know the types of wood to production to all sorts of different really cool stuff. So um, give them a, a look real quick if you have the money and want to back it, get your own wormwood table, then go for it. So let's kick off with our first project that we've got lined up. The Painter's Fortress. It's a 3D printable paint station. So for those of us that are into mini painting, I think one of the things that I have learned in my last year, year and a half, is that structure and organization helps me really move my projects along. I don't like I ha- the way I've got it set up now is kind of a modular setting so I can move stuff around and things like that. But looking at this thing, it looks absolutely amazing for what it is. And it looks like that they have designed it to work with, like, all the major brands of paint. Yeah. So, basically, they have gone in. This is not a physical product. It is just the STL files to be able to print this thing. It's completely modular as well as, like, customizable to whatever setup that you need for your painting needs. This thing is really cool. Um, Usually, we don't do a lot of 3D printed projects on here. There have been a couple that have kind of come up. Uh, but this is one of the first ones that we've done that you would have to take it and either get it printed or print it yourself. Right. Um, I will say for those of you who know some things about 3d printing, um, this will not work with a resin printer, um, just because of the way that you have to assemble the pieces. Resin is a little bit too brittle for that. Right. Um, so it has to be done on a traditional filament printer. But other than that, um, this thing is crazy. So I was looking, I, I expected, you know, the amount of work that they're talking about that they put into this. Um, so not only have they like tried to print it so many different ways, they finally found like they just need to print the pieces flat and then you assemble them after you print them. So I'm expecting this thing to probably be like 50, 60 bucks, right? For the files. It's 25 bucks. I saw that. I, at first I saw the the Hong Kong price, which is 194 And I was like, <laughs> yeah. man, that's a little steep. And I was like, wait a minute. I don't live in Hong Kong. <laughs> There we go. So, but yeah, so like I said, you it is something you have to print yourself, but the way they've made this as a modular setup, this can be done for someone who has a small workspace or someone who has a large workspace that they can kind of fit all this stuff in and you can kind of make it whatever you need and whatever works for you. That's what I really liked about it looking into this is you basically um 
you build out like the box that you want and then you put the pieces in there. So you've got different types of like uh, like trays for paints and you've got like the Games Workshop paints or like Valero. They come in different size bottles and the cutouts that you would stick them in. You can change the size. Like I said, it's designed for like the major paint brands. Uh, Kamara, Molotov, uh, some of the liquid metal. Uh, uh, was it the Liquitex stuff? Yeah. You can print what you want and build your own paint station, which is really awesome. Yeah, it, it's really, really cool. I, I do like so even the so the kind of the drawer fronts and the outside edges, they have like specialty designs on them. And with the uh, stretch goals for this campaign, we're like kind of introducing new specialty designs. So there's already a bunch of them unlocked because this campaign originally they were only asking for a thousand dollars as their goal. They've already hit forty three thousand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. That's fantastic. Like, I really, really am excited for them. But it looks like a really cool product. Like they do talk about the um, it's a very sturdy product because they say you have to put it together with a hammer. So, which I think is fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's super modular. It it has all these different ways that you can build it. So uh, definitely take a look at this, uh, especially if you're into mini painting, have access to a 3D printer. Or if you honestly, most places, if you have a public library, now you can get access to a 3D printer. You just have to pay for the filament, which is the cheaper part of printing. Um, if not, you there's also a couple places you can send STL files into, and they will print them for you. So, um, this project still has 15 days to go. Again, it's called Painter's Fortress, a 3D printable paint station. Uh, we'll put the links and everything like we usually do, um, but definitely take a look at it if it's something you're interested in, because uh, if it seems like a really, really good organizational tool. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. I might, I might have to back this one and then figure out how I'm going to make it later. Yeah. So speaking of things that you can assemble. Um... Oh, oh, oh. So the world of gaming and especially tabletop gaming, um, like we all know, it, it's exploded in the last 10 years. Right. And here recently, you know, we play a lot online. So you're, you know, downloading maps into Roll20 and there's so many different um, different platforms that are coming out now. Like a lot of it is really going that way. Yes. But. For those that have the opportunity and the ability to play a traditional come sit around the table game, like everybody knows about the company Dwarven Forge. Yep. And they have a new Kickstarter running that, I, I mean, I, I, I need more money in my life just so I can buy Dwarven Forge. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah, this... So this new Kickstarter that they have launched, it is called Cities Untold Lowtown. Uh, there's a bunch of different stuff with it that they're kind of adding and messing with, uh, including this uh, biscuit peg system that allows you to like basically build the models higher than you ever could before, um, like the different buildings. And it allows you to take full floors of buildings and move them off of other <laughs> floors. Um, which is uh, it's a problem like I've used Dwarven Forge before some of the older stuff yeah and I have built multi-level structures and what I ended up having to do was build a structure and then build a second structure for the next floor yeah and um, it's not it's not as ideal as I would like this is so much better I love this so much more yeah Um, and of course the just the artistic quality of 
of this stuff is amazing. Now, of course, you can get it painted or unpainted. You save some money if you go unpainted. Sure. Uh, but, I mean, these things have everything from, like, integrated fog, LED lights, like, magnets, like, the whole nine yards. This stuff is fantastic. And, you know, my favorite thing, apparently, is hitting things with a hammer. This is how they test it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the Dwarvenite is the yeah. material they're proprietary plastic, I guess, that they use. Yeah. And I will tell you from my experience, they're pretty tough. So getting to see them actually banging it with a hammer and it's holding up, I'm like, I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was convinced. So there's um, a ton of different pieces and modular buildings and things like that. And they have a couple like little quick videos on the, the Kickstarter page that show them like they have one uh, one building that they take completely apart and make two completely different looking buildings. Um, and it just kind of shows the modular nature of the whole sets. Um, but let's get into pricing. Uh, cause <laughs> yeah, because unfortunately this is where, um, you really have to be committed to, to be able to back this. Um, it's really cool, but obviously that kind of, that kind of quality comes with a price tag. Um, so there's your traditional pledge $1. You get the, the pledge manager access. And if you go even $10, you can do like a build your own type pledge where you can get, um, just certain component sets or whatever you want from there. You still get stretch goals and things like that. So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so we get into the first kind of actual tier of product. Um, and it starts at $158. So what you get with that is the st- what they call the starter set. It's a city builder basics wood starter set. So it has a few different pieces. It's, it's not near the like really flashy and quality stuff that you see kind of on the pictures. It's, it's very much kind of like, these are your basic pieces to make a room with four walls, maybe some in the middle. And that's pretty much it. Um, you can get it unpainted, which is, I think, like about $58 cheaper, give or take. Um, so you can get it unpainted, but that's where we're at. Um, you can jump up to 259 for the Mega Starter Set, uh, which includes a little bit extra than the original one. It's got some uh, specialty doors and things like that in there uh, that really add just a little bit of extra flair to it. Uh, but you're still looking at some pretty, pretty basic stuff. So... Now we get into the good stuff. <laughs> the landmark pledge levels, which start at $590, you choose from different landmarks that they have. So they have like the city barracks, the thieves guild, the wizard's townhouse, the wharf warehouse, the speakeasy murder bar, like these different landmarks that you choose. And it's a fully fledged building, all the accessories, all of the things like that for you. You get all the pieces to make that. Now, like they showed in their earlier videos, you could split these pieces apart and make your own thing, but they will give you all the pieces to make whatever these landmarks are, which is really cool, but it's, it's a little pricey, but for $590, you can get any of those landmarks. If you want two of them, it's $1,130. But again, all the pieces can be disassembled and they can be put back together. Um, they've added some other really cool stuff like uh, like sky bridges and things like that that you can yeah, connect yeah. that were just not possible with the original set. So there's some really cool stuff in here. Um, but then we get into the big daddy, the the district pledges. Oof. 
So the districts are uh, like you. They have a couple different versions. Like there's Ambush Alley, which has it looks like oh my god, like there's a dozen buildings on this thing. The downtown dockside, which is, looks like an entire, basically like a dock, you know, at a town somewhere. The Warfield Village, um, again, it's like you know eight, nine, ten actual buildings uh, with all the accessories and stuff. So, yeah, these are big. Like these are big, and the first pledge for them, uh, for one in the painted version, is twenty three hundred and ninety dollars. You get any painted district bundle, uh, any of the milestone stretch goals, any of the treasure chest stretch goals, uh, and the low town tote bag. So, which is nice because this is I've seen what Dwarven Forge looks like unassembled. It's a lot. So yeah, <laughs> you need a tote bag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I will say you can get them unpainted starting at fifteen hundred. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, unpainted does save you about you know eight hundred bucks. Um, yeah. but they're gorgeous as they are painted. And yeah. if you're not a painter like me, or if you don't want to paint that many things, <laughs> or if you would like to buy them and spend four hundred dollars to have somebody paint them, I know I might know a guy. <laughs> What are we doing? Shopping out services so that we can afford our own Dwarven Forge? Hey, to quote Omen, Omen Drawn, always be branding. <laughs> Just send an email to <laughs> dapperbeeple at gmail.com. Uh, uh, there's also one of the really cool ones I like. It was an unlock stretch goal. It's called uh, Into the Pit. I mean, oh, if yeah. that's not the yawning portal. That's exactly what like- I was saying. I was like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm I- not saying they ripped it off. But I'm saying that there's another end. Whoa, that whoa, has whoa, whoa. A- The Yawning Portal may not have been the first end to have a dungeon that you went straight down a pit into. I'm just saying. That's not a that's not a unique idea. Hey, Dwarven Forge, have you been looking to sponsor a podcast? Yeah. Well, well I'm not going to argue <laughs> with that. A really well-known inn is somewhere in the Forgotten Realms. Also kind of looks like this. But yeah, no, it, it's really cool. I like a lot of the things that they did. And like looking at the picture of it, they have like all the tables. They have um, like a little fireplace. They have little lanterns that have LEDs working in them. Yes, that part is amazing. I Like the, you know, the building it is one thing and being able to have like your vision of what you want for your players on the table. But then having all those little accessories, like the actual have lights and stuff. Yeah. You know, that's how... That's what people think now that, you know, after seeing Critical Role, because, you know, the, you know here's your here's your access to it. Yeah. Do you want a Critical Role like game? Well, we can't do shit for your improv, but It'll you can nice. get you some really nice terrain. But yeah, no, this this is a fantastic. Um, it's it's again on the pricey side. If you have money to put into your hobbies like this, that's fantastic. This is a great product. If that is what you are looking for. Um, I'm really excited to kind of see like them put out like huge Kickstarters like this. It shows that they're continually developing not only like the brand, but also like their products. They're adding these new features and mm-hmm. things like that that just make them better. Right. Um, they're and, learning from the community. Yeah. And that's really, really cool to see. Um, so this Kickstarter, as of time of recording, has seven days left. Um, it's already over 200 or 2,200,000. 
So it's definitely funding. So if you want in on that, like I said, you can do everything from the create your own where you can kind of pick and choose the pieces you want um, all the way up to, you know, buying some of the districts. I think the max pledge or the, one of the highest pledges is like $6,800. Yeah. 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 And that's you get three different districts. Three of the with districts. That one, yeah. So, but yeah, um, really cool stuff. So let's hop on to the next Kickstarter that we want to talk about. So this one is an actual board game. It is. Uh, I, I'm in a Facebook group that is a board game. Well, we're in uh, like a board game hype kind of uh, closed group. And this one showed up in our group as well when it began. Um, and it's just at first I was kind of like, ah, I wasn't I need to see what this is. But looking into it, this is an incredibly in-depth campaign like you know board game like there's like 30 something hours of play in this box yeah so the game we're talking about is stone saga um if you do watch any kind of board game videos or anything like that there have been a few people talking about this um, i know very specifically man versus meeple um, one of the guys on there did a, a couple videos on it uh but yeah so this game is a cooperative campaign style survival crafting game is the way that they they kind of pitch it um it's set in a world where your choices matter and they change the way the world like is yeah um the base premise of it is you are part of a civilization um that has made its way into this valley that is finally open due to like the ice caps melting um, so it is a whole new area you need to explore. You need to gather resources. Um, there's some really crazy mechanics in here. The crafting mechanics are fantastic. Mm -hmm. There's a really fun fishing like deck and mechanic that seems to be the thing that everyone talks about. Um, there's, there, a, there's a cooking mechanic yeah. in this. Yeah, with one of the expansions, it adds the cooking elements. Um, you can craft tools and things like that based on the items that you find. Um, there's some really cool stuff and the way it works every time you play a game it's like you are playing a moment in that civilization where there's some sort of crisis or conflict or decision that needs to be resolved within that game and then the next time you play it'll be a different moment in that civilization's history the the characters that you played as the first time are now instead of being young they're now old and the old characters from the last game have now like passed on um, yeah. it's it's really cool i like just that whole idea that your individual character does not matter what matters is like how your decisions and legacy kind of affect the whole thing um it looks really cool the pieces look fantastic the artwork on it is really fun um it looks like there's some really cool stuff like the player boards are um like multi-leveled so there's like crevices to hold like your items and stuff like that in the player boards um yeah this one looks really cool there is a couple expansions they already have announced um for it that you can actually pledge um there's some like token trays uh they have um it shows a picture of the inbox like storage kind of container that looks really clean especially because it has 200 plus double-sided tokens yeah, yeah so there's a lot of stuff kind of going on in this but so far, it looks really, really cool. Uh, gameplay seems pretty straightforward. Um, it is has a very heavy element of storytelling. 
And I think that's kind of one of the things that that is kind of drawing me into it. Yes. Yes. Um, Because we do love storytelling. That's kind of the big reason why we play RPGs. So to have this element in a board game as well is something that we also look for. Um, So there's there's some really cool stuff with this. um, Some really cool systems that I don't think I've seen other games do. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think really, really are exciting. So this game will even play solo, or of course it's cooperative, right? Um, so you can play up to that. Um, I think it's one to four players, and with the expansion, you get a one extra player yep. count, so five players. Um, so they've already hit a bunch of their stretch goals too. So there's some a lot of cool extras already unlocked. Um, so let's talk about pricing here. So you can get the core box um, for about $98. Which is, yeah, this, the core box and all the stretch goals. Yep. So that's going to be just your standard, um, the standard game, which I know the couple expansions they have, they've, uh, that they've announced unlock a, some pretty cool extra stuff. Yeah. So if you want the expansions added on to that, um, it'll be $197. So about double the price, but you do get two looks like big box expansions. Yeah. I was going to say they're, yeah, it's yeah. three good size boxes. Yeah. So it does add a lot to the campaigns as well. Yeah. So with the expansions, you get a couple different things. So, uh, the one expansion adds, of course, a fifth player. It adds the cooking element, it also adds another mantle, which is kind of like a uh, character powers, because um, there are variable character powers depending on which mantle you choose. So it also adds another behemoth, which is like the giant creature that's moved into the valley with you. Which the way the game talks, it is not like something you have to go attack and kill. Like it's kind of you choose the way you live around this creature, which I think is an interesting I like that. idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I definitely. They they have the mod on Tabletop Simulator. I want to give it a shot and just kind of see and play a little bit. Um, but yeah, so there is a couple of things that come with that, but that's the main one of the, the first expansion. The other expansion adds six new animal companions. Uh, I know there's one in the base game, uh, but this adds a whole lot more for options and things like that. Uh, it adds a couple other like various cards to the game that change like your discoveries and... Um, your different powers, the way they work, as well as some new items mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So um, that is really cool. There's just a, a lot of game. There really is. Yeah. And what I like about it, like you said, there is a there's an incredible storytelling aspect to this. And your decisions are going to influence your game throughout the campaign. And I really like I like that kind of power being in the player's hands i mean it's dangerous let's not let's not lie um but yeah i i like the fact that the decisions you make are going to have an effect and will have a long-term effect on your game that you're playing like i said like they're talking about 30 plus hours of gameplay within the you know the core box and the expansions uh that's a lot of game yeah yeah Yeah. it's definitely seems like a a very in-depth kind of campaign based Uh um i like one of my issues with campaign games is that if you have like this character, like you have to play that same character over and over and over. Yeah, yeah. One of the things they mentioned because of the way that it is structured, where your individual character doesn't matter as much as the whole. Right. Um, you can change like mantles in between games. So if you want to try out a new player power, or if you have a person who has come to game night 
and you want them to try this game out with you, it's a drop in, drop out system. I like that. as far as every single game. Yeah. Um, because again, the individual doesn't matter as much as the whole. So that that part's really cool. I do like that element um, that does make it easier because we all know how hard it is to get the same group of people together on a consistent basis to play the same game. The BBEG at every tabletop is just the schedule. Yeah, it's just the schedule. So that does make it a whole lot easier for that. Um, So one of the things that they mention um, about the behemoths that I really think is cool in the lower section of the campaign, they talk about a few different things. but specifically, they say um, each behemoth is a unique being, a massive and seemingly immortal creature with a, vine, a mind very much different to that of a human. These behemoths will be your society's rivals, companions, deities or demons across the ages. So the way you interact with them is really varied. Uh, I think that's really cool. Yeah. I, that sets up a lot of really fun like storytelling elements to it. Um, so. One thing, just to kind of finish up this, the designers of this, um, just to kind of give a little pedigree. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we have Max Brook, who is the co-designer of Star Wars X-Wing and Legend of the Five Rings RPG, uh, which is known for its storytelling elements. Right. Um, and then we have Luke Eddy, who was one of the designers on Star Wars Legion. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's... There's some like serious game pedigree there. Yeah. So again, this looks fantastic. There's a lot of buzz around it. If you want to see some videos of gameplay and things like that, a lot of people have put them out. So feel free to take a look at that. There are still seven days to go on this. So it's a little tight in the time frame we usually like to get, uh, but definitely something to take a look at, especially if this type of game interests you. All right. And with that, we have taken our first steps into the valley. There are many more challenges and decisions facing our civilization. Hopefully, we'll be able to overcome them and craft our legacy. For the Dapper Meeple, I'm Jim. And I'm Josh. Good night, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around and listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, let me ask you a favor. Follow us and leave us a like wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us out. And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for the Dapper Meeple. On Twitter, our handle is at the Dapper Meeple, or email us at dappermeeplegaming at gmail.com. And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table. <laughs>